Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. The Ukraine invasion and its impact on markets is in focus today. Stocks, bonds, the US dollar commodities all down overnight. There's been a flurry of diplomatic efforts to try and stop the war, and that is also having an impact on the price of oil. Oil prices have been falling, continuing a downward trend that we saw last week. Oil prices fell below 100 US dollars a barrel as negotiations between the Ukraine and Russia appear to grow more substantive. A risk to demand have also emerged with the resurgence of COVID lockdown measures in China, the world's largest importer of oil. Today, we dive deeper into what's driving the near-term oil markets and ask if the price of oil is much more sensitive to sentiment than actual supply and demand calculations. My guest today is Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean from INSEAD. Good morning, Ilian. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Now, oil investors are closely tracking oil prices, which have slid backwards to 100 US dollars a barrel, well off their highs of $130 last week. I wonder if you have an opinion uh, behind what's causing this. Why have oil prices eased up even as the war in Ukraine continues? Well, I think that uh, there is a commitment to increase production in some of the oil-producing countries because uh, you know, there is, as you mentioned, there is definitely a sentiment in uh, in these price fluctuations. But probably the most important uh, variable that matters are the expectations of uh, future supply and demand. And uh, when there was no clarity whether supply will increase, all prices shoot up. And then uh, today we have more and more certainty that there'll be an increase. It will take time. So it's, it's not about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It's about six months from now, one year from now, that you'll see more oil uh, flowing in. And also, of course, there were some positive signs that there might be talks in, um, in Ukraine to resolve the, the war. Even though oil prices are sliding back, they are still significantly higher than where they were just a month ago. So speaking of big picture, uh, seven days ago, though, President Joe Biden, U.S. president, announced that the U.S. will ban imports of oil from Russia, along with refined petroleum products, natural gas, coal. It's just the latest U.S. action designed to punish Russia for its invasion of Ukraine. Uh, The EU says it could wean itself off Russian gas within years and start curbing its reliance on natural gas from Russia within months. Uh, EU states reportedly set to adopt new sanctions against Russia's oil majors, Rosneft, Transneft and Gazpromneft, but will continue to buy oil from them. So we'd like to get your thoughts. What do you think are the implications of the US ban and Europe committing to cutting imports um, in terms of its natural gas markets? Yeah, well, I mean, the U.S., as uh, you know, people have commented many times by now, it uses very little oil from Russia. So that's not their major market. Uh, so for them, it's not such a big, I mean, it, it affects it, but it's not a big deal. For Europeans, it's a very big deal. So it will take time before they find alternative sources of gas. They start buying liqu- uh, liquefied natural gas and all these uh, you know, alternative ways of heating up during the winter and uh, fueling their uh, power stations. So that's uh, that will take some time for the U.S. You know, they will they can go back to the shell cracking to you know to some of the reserves. And again, we expect also the increase in the Middle East in oil production that will um, that will help definitely. Now, this week, the Federal Reserve is likely to raise interest rates for the first time since 2018, potentially strengthening the dollar, uh, but also adding pressure to oil prices. So 
in terms of what we can expect uh, in terms of monetary tightening, what are your expectations on, on tightening monetary outlook amidst uh, the ratcheting geopolitical uncertainty? Well, it is, uh, yeah, it is true that uh, the Fed is expected to raise interest rates. I think that the consensus now is 25 basis points. Uh, everybody believes that. I think that this is, this is too little. I know that there is a lot of uncertainty um, regarding growth. But at this point in time, inflation is a much bigger issue. And I think that they're just losing control of inflation with now inflation before the war in Ukraine running at 8%. Uh, and, uh, and what actually worries me more is not 8%, it's that it's accelerating, that every month we get a higher number. And now everybody talks about the wage uh, inflation and pressures on the labor market. So I was hoping that they'll do 50 basis points, but um, I feel that the consensus uh, at 25 will probably be the right one. A surging energy costs likely to add to inflationary pressures uh, for the global economy. What are your expectations into, in terms of oil prices, where, where oil prices can go? I think that nobody can make this prediction. I think that's something that I have seen in the past. Big investment banks with the research departments of hundreds of people making predictions that were completely off you know, in, in terms of like oil price will go over 200 in mm-hmm. 2007 it's about and so on. 150, so, some say. Yeah. yeah, so uh, it is very difficult to, uh, to, to predict oil prices because, again, what matters mm-hmm. is not just supply and demand. Mm-hmm. It's also what matters are the expectations. And expectations of uh, deliveries uh, or, or basically supply uh, 10, uh, you know, five, 10 months from now, 12 months from now can generate big, uh, big changes in, um, in all prices. So my sense is that if the war continues, like everybody else, I would believe that prices will increase. Now, to what extent production will increase in some of the oil-producing countries? It is probably will not be enough to to meet the shortfall coming from uh, from Russia. Mm-hmm. If all of the Russian oil is boycotted and, and embargoed, then there will be an increase. But if some countries continue buying oil from Russia and then probably re-exporting it, then the, the price increase will not be as big. On that point of sentiment, Russia may be turning to China for military assistance. If it is answered in the positive, what do you think the implications could be on a global um, expectations for, for the global economy? I think that there will be a lot of sanctions to China because I think that Europe and the United States today feel that they, they really don't have any control over what is happening in Ukraine. And they feel that, you know, Putin has the upper hand and he does whatever he wants to do. And they realize that actually what they, you know, what, what is going on is quite dangerous, how far this can expand and how far Putin can go. And, and again, Putin has been very clever in testing uh, different things over the past uh, 10 years, 12 years, um, trying to get further and further out west. Uh, and... Um, and again, we can view this war in Ukraine as um, as the ultimate goal of Putin, but also we can view it as you know testing for something that can come up next. So understanding that this is not the end, that this might not be the end, 
if the West and uh, uh, you know the U.S. and Western Europe allow China then to start supporting Russia, they realize that then there is a big block forming against uh, Western values, uh, democracy, Western market economies, and so on. And they'll have to act very, uh, I think, very strongly in order to stop this and cut it. So I anticipate sanctions, trade wars, disputes, um, and all kinds of unpleasant things like that. Just still on this point of China, are there worries that China's banks and institutions may allow Russia to circumvent uh, sanctions? But at the same time, China is a smaller trading partner with Russia than the U.S. Is it well-placed to be a moderator in this conflict? I don't know. I think that actually the cost to China could be quite significant and the upside is not very clear. I mean, I think that you're right that if you look at the trading partners of China, you know, the West, the US, uh, you know, even here, Southeast Asia, much more important than Russia. If they side with Russia, they may cut, you know, a big chunk of their uh, of their trade. And if they circumvent uh, also the financial uh, restrictions and allow finances to flow through China, that can generate other restrictions and other bans that will not be so pleasant. So I, I really don't see the upside uh, for China. And when you look between, you know, Putin and Xi Jinping, Putin reacts. I mean, he's a very cold-minded person, <laughs> but also he reacts. He he plays on the emotions of people, and there is a bit of an emotional reaction there and there is a willingness uh, just to you know to to get russia to its former glory if you look at xi jinping i think the chinese government is much more rational and they see what is good for china what is good for for the people for the economic development of china and if you look at it rationally it's just difficult to see the benefits of siding with russia if we look at uh, Southeast Asia and the fallout of this conflict on this region, how do you think rising commodity prices, uh, wheat, soybean, for example, how could rising commodity prices impact the growth outlook here in Asia? Uh, so in general, commodity prices usually generate a downturn, at least for some time, temporary, because it's, as we call it, it's a supply shock. There is definitely also a second shock that is coming, uh, which is the food prices. Uh, and it will, I think it will come a little bit slower than the, uh, the commodities prices, but it will be you know, pretty big because we know that Russia and Ukraine are some of the biggest producers of grains and uh, fertilizers and everything related to food. I mean, I think that I... Somebody published that 12% of the calories are exported by Russia. I mean, it's like, yeah, so this is, um, you know, this is obviously worrisome because it is not so much even about the economic downturn, but it's about, you know, nutrition and hunger and people having uh, having food. Mm -hmm. Now, Asia in general, Southeast Asia, here we consume more rice rather than, you know, the wheat and corn and so on. But still, you know, with all these other uh, other parts of the uh, like the fertilizers, I think it will have uh, will have a you know obviously difficulty. But uh, again, the the commodities per se they will generate definitely uh, 
a shock, both a price shock, but also the supply uh, chain shock that will lead to lower production incomes and possibly a recession. So food security is certainly uh, an area of concern here in Southeast Asia. Um, Professor, can you share with us perhaps your thoughts on the most significant dimensions of the fallout arising from the Ukraine crisis? Uh, Well, I think that uh, there are already (laughs) several outcomes. So, uh, I mean, again, looking at Europe, Germany is militarizing. That's something that is a big change, um, tripling their their you know defense budget uh buying planes and everything so i think that um you know europe will have to review their defense policy and they're reviewing their defense policy uh, against uh, uh russia um i think that um in the uh the the peace the world order that we had from the end of the cold war until uh, until now uh, is gone. Um, I think that uh, there will be um, increase in defense spending, and uh, I don't know. I hope that there won't be any more conflicts, but I will not exclude that. Uh, it depends on how the Ukraine crisis ends, because there are many different scenarios. Uh, then we can talk about very different possible world orders. I mean, the extreme, the most unpleasant one is obviously that there is a nuclear war. Many people dismiss this. Mm -hmm. I'm not so fast to dismiss that because, again, Putin is not uh, predictable. And um, it's uh, he's determined to show that he won. And if the West somehow puts pressure on him, he might resort to uh, extreme measures. By the way, it's it's actually interesting, you know, Russian rulers have always been willing to sacrifice a big chunk of their country population just to to win at the end of the day or just to go for a win, even if the, the cost is extreme. So in 1812, Napoleon was marching towards Moscow and they had this, uh, this battle against the Russians uh, that the Russians lost near Borodino. And uh, and then uh, they went to Moscow, the French. The Russians evacuated, they moved out, and they burned down the entire city to the ground. I mean, it's uh, that was their most beautiful city and so on, but they, they, they were willing to make huge sacrifices just to, you know, to, to get uh, to their end. So I don't know what they're ready to do now, but I know that... <laughs> I know that uh, Putin will not be, will not surrender or will not be captured like Saddam Hussein and, um, and Muammar Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is very important because what is missing today from many discussions uh, is the role of Russians in all this. And Russians are stigmatized, the ordinary Russians, but I do not see change in Russia without Russians. I do not see the West liberating Russia. Uh, I see that, uh, you know, I, and again, my history, my, my personal story is that I, I, I lived in Bulgaria until 19, 1990 for 24 years. And when I reflect back on what happened in Eastern Europe, the West did not liberate Eastern Europe. Uh, the West did not come and uh, conquer Berlin or, or Sofia or 
Bucharest, what happened is that people changed. But people changed because we were listening to Voice of America, Radio Free Europe, because uh, Western organizations were engaging with, uh, with people there who believed in Western values and wanted change. And that's what we need to support now the, the, the Russians who will make the change in Russia. We have to figure out how to do them, that instead of stigmatizing them and saying that every Russian is pro-Putin. In fact, there are probably more Russians who are against Putin than you know, in, in many other countries. Um, so it's, uh, I think that this is, this is very important because when we think about post-Ukraine world order, where Russia stands and where it is with Putin or with another autocrat or whether it is with the, uh, you know, the more democratic government makes a huge difference. Well, thank you as always for your enlightening thoughts. Professor Ilian Mihov, Dean of INSEA, joining us here on Influence. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.